Thanks for listening to the First Take podcast. I'm Simon King, Executive Editor at First Word Pharma Plus, where industry professionals who know first, go first. On this week's episode, I discuss controversial US approval of Biogen's Aduhelm as a new treatment for Alzheimer's disease with my colleagues Michael Flanagan and Becky Simon. And I catch up with Melanie Nalasheri, President and Chief Operating Officer at EQRX, a drug company formed last year with a goal of disrupting the pharmaceutical pricing landscape. Melanie told me how this year's ASCO meeting was a coming out party for EQRX, whose most advanced cancer drugs are moving towards the market at a faster speed than the company anticipated they would just 18 months ago when it launched at the beginning of 2020. Monday, the FDA approved Biogen's Aduhelm, also known as Aducanumab, for the treatment of Alzheimer's disease. Aduhelm is described as potentially being the first and only disease-modifying Alzheimer's therapy and is also the first new treatment of any kind for Alzheimer's to be approved by the agency for nearly 20 years. But the decision has proven to be highly contentious because there is considerable debate as to whether Adahelm is actually effective. Uh, Michael, I know you've been covering this story for the last couple of years. There's obviously sort of multiple talking points and controversies stemming from um, the FDA's um, sort of somewhat surprising decision to approve the drug on Monday. But I guess that the, the one controversy that I've already mentioned that these all hang off is just the fact that the data we've seen for, for Adahelm uh, from the two phase three studies that Biogen has run is just not that compelling. <laughs> yeah. your, your British dry wit, um, yeah, it undersells it a little bit there, uh, Simon. Um, yeah, you know, there, there was, it was tested in two phase three trials that were stopped early, one of which for sure didn't hit the primary endpoint, the other one arguably did um and this is the basis for the approval it's you know it's a it's an interesting move and uh it's no surprise um that you know the the decision to give it the green light has caused as much of an uproar as it has unfortunately for fda it was in a tough spot because it was going to catch it no matter what it you know decided If if it turned the drug down there were a lot of patients and patient groups that were really excited about it and they really wanted it. Um, I assume they were sort of getting political pressure on that side. On the other hand, you know, they approved it and now they're getting, um, you know, criticism from people who say that they're lowering their standards. Um, They are potentially raising all sorts of questions and problems with um, just sort of how this is going to get paid for. I mean, there are so many different talking points here that uh, and all of them contentious it's just a it's a it's a wild uh, it's a wild time in the in the biopharma sector i guess okay so i guess there's a couple of things we should we should make a, a point of of noting um obviously one of the controversies is the fact that in november there was an advisory committee that was sort of invited by the fda to discuss the data and they sort of voted almost unanimously to 
to not approve Adderhelm. And actually, in the last couple of days, two of those panellists have quit their roles on the committee as a result of the FDA's decision. So I think that's one of the other controversies. Um, I guess the other one that caught a lot of people by surprise, you know, I guess approval is not completely out of the blue because there has been this this sort of well-publicised delay in the decision by the FDA. But the label is just exceptionally broad. It just states that um, Adderhelm can be used to treat Alzheimer's disease patients. Um, whereas the studies that Biogen uh, ran, which, as you've mentioned, were kind of didn't produce the most compelling data, they actually enrolled patients with earlier stage disease and mild cognitive impairment. So there's this, I think that's one of the things that's caught a lot of people in particular off guard, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think so. Go for it, Becky. Oh yeah, I was, I was just gonna note, you know, like Michael had said, FDA was kind of in a, um, you know, a lose-lose scenario with whether it's, you know, approved or rejected this drug, but um, albeit I'm not a regulator, I'm not in FDA's shoes, but it seems, it, I feel like there's a relatively um, easy to access middle ground that the agency just kind of skipped right over um, in, you know, handing down this approval if it feels that's what's necessary. Um, but, you know, having a more restrictive population, something, you know, more directly tied to, you know, what Biogen has been, has been studying, you know, these mild patients, um, you know, more uh, um, uh, diagnostic work, you know, required in terms of um, what, you know, amyloid love plaque levels perhaps these patients should have, you know, also, I feel like there are all sorts of opportunities that were sort of missed by the FDA in terms of, um, uh, narrowing down, ma making this into an approval that would be, you know, more palatable um, to uh, to the industry overall. Okay. And in terms of, I mean, just looking at what Biogen themselves have said um, and talking to this point about, you know, the broad label um, and, and, and obviously versus, you know, a, a kind of a narrower patient population that was evaluated in studies. I mean, Biogen's own sort of slide deck that they presented earlier earlier in the week kind of suggests that they will need to target or they will target this you know perhaps towards patients um, who have got earlier stage disease um, as you mentioned who do test positive for these beta amyloid plaques um, that said that you know that they estimate there could be two million patients in the US who kind of fall into that category um, many of whom they know may currently not being diagnosed um so it's still a, a potentially um huge market i guess the other you know the other thing that's that's worth noting is that this is an accelerated approval um and this almost feels like this is this was kind of you know the fda's get out is the fact that because this is an accelerated approval if the confirmatory data doesn't show a benefit and Biogen's been asked to do a, a large confirmatory study, then they could withdraw authorization. But even this is kind of wrapped up in controversy because Biogen has been throwing around this figure of, you know, we've got nine years to complete the study. Um, I think I've, I've even seen a few analysts sort of suggesting that the, the, the um, intellectual property exclusivity on the drug may almost be up 
by that point. So this, I mean, even there where there was an opportunity to perhaps draw a clear line and say, look, we want the study to be done in three, four years. There's controversy also in, in, in that part of the game as well. Yeah. And there's, you know, there will be some um, interim milestone looks uh, for other anti beta amyloid antibodies that are in development. I know Roche has one. I know uh, Eli Lilly has one. And, and even uh, Biogen and, and ASI, who, who are now going to be selling AduHealth, they have another antibody as well. So there will be these looks at these other agents that will perhaps validate or further erode confidence in AduHealth, depending on how those studies play out. But it's just, it's crazy. I mean, you, you mentioned um, the, you know, that Biogen has said that they're going to focus on, you know, the, the early stage patients who would fit the criteria for the trials. And, you know, that obviously makes sense. But the people who are going to be like really desperate for this drug are the ones that are, you know, they're feeling the effects of this or their families are feeling the effects of, of Alzheimer's. Those are going to be the ones, and there's several more million people that fit into this bucket. Those are going to be the people that really want this drug and are going to be pushing doctors and pushing payers to um, to allow them to get it. So, you know, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's a it's an interesting dynamic. We haven't mentioned the, you know, that public health and uh, who's paying for this and how much they can pay, but that's obviously going to be a huge question mark. Yeah. I mean, before let we'll touch on the pricing in a minute, because that's a, a, another element of controversy that Biogen has kind of brought to the party with with the, their price point. The one thing that we've we've kind of overlooked, actually, and it's definitely worth mentioning, and you've just alluded to it, Michael, that there are other drugs out there that previously have been studied um, looking at this um, amyloid, um, these amyloid beta plaque reductions. And, and, and there are there are. Um, drugs that are currently in development that are sort of looking at the same kind of pathology but obviously one of the big controversies is that this isn't sort of even universally agreed on as potentially the right way to treat Alzheimer's and I think that was one of the huge takeaways from me was that the FDA has put that front and center of their you know of, of, of the way that they've approved this and the way that they've announced it and i thought that to me on in some ways was almost the most interesting thing from this is that they've almost validated this hypothesis about the way to treat alzheimer's that has you know has been a massive debate for many years now yeah i was you know as surprised as the next gal to see, you know, as we've seen over the years, you know, like you've alluded to this just winnowing support over time um, for the amyloid hypothesis overall to have, you know, suddenly its biggest proponent, the, you know, the FDA was not the party I might have expected. Um, I think it's, you know, sort of a burn on Eli Lilly, probably the most prominently, if you look at their uh, solanezumab data, uh, back in 2016, 2017, um, you know, they had a very similar output, you know, in uh, to, you know, what Biogen is seeing in that they have, uh, they have effectively, you know, met the standard that um, FDA now says is okay, in that you only need positive results from one phase three study, and you need to be able to show reductions in um, in amyloid plaques, which you know a number of programs have done historically. 
and not bothered to take in that data to the FDA, uh, presumably because regulators told them not to bother. Uh, so it's a big question for me, you know, why Biogen, why now? Is this just, you know, a right place, right time, right political environment, right staffing, um, that this application of all applications that have shown, you know, similar effects for, you know, agents that modulate um, amyloid plaque sort of in any way, shape or form, you know, that this was the one that slipped through, um, you know, good for Biogen, I guess, lucky break, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> And it will be interesting, I guess, sort of following on from that, it will be interesting how um, they treat future drugs, certainly, that are working in the same way. And we know that there's a, there's a handful of those in late stage development and there's, there's data that's going to read out in the relatively near term future. Um, that actually being another kind of criticism of the FDA is that, the, you know, the agency could well have waited for for data for similar agents to read out in the not too distant future which may have been able to sort of shape its thinking um let's just move on to the pricing quickly um you know before this was approved uh, you know some analysts were saying you know this could be priced at you know ten thousand dollars a year in terms of its wholesale price um there were a few analyst notes that were dropping into people's inboxes you know, minutes after the FDA announced its decision and the price point had kind of gone up to, you know, potentially $35,000. The actual price is $56,000 per patient per year, which is obviously, you know, significantly higher than those figures I've just mentioned. Um, and the other contentious issue being that because this is an accelerated approval, it shifts a considerable financial burden onto Medicare and the public sector. Hugely so. Yeah, I mean, the so the 56,000 is an average, you know, it's weight based, so that's an average amount. But, uh, you know, the, the assumed net net price will be lower than that, obviously. So if you sort of knock it down to, say, 40,000, 35,000, and then you just do the rough math, you know, on the million millions of patients who are potential candidates for this, um, and how many will actually get that. You get a, a number that is. I saw. I think it was Umar Rafat for ISI Evercore or Evercore ISI, I should say. Uh, he suggested that you know just some rough um, back of the envelope math gives this drug like it could be twenty five billion dollars in sales which is what Medicare spent on Part B drugs in 2017 total. <laughs> so, you there know, there's, right, and there's just, there's some disconnects here. Obviously we've, this isn't the first time we've had sort of people saying, wow, this is, the system is going to get completely blown up. We heard about it with the HCV drugs, Savaldi from, from Gilead. Um, we heard about it a little bit with the anti-PCSK9 drugs as well. But, you know, I, I, we'll see. Um, obviously, there's the numbers just don't really add up. This thing will have to give, whether it's the, you know, the US, uh, CMS uh, or the U.S. government um, sort of doing something to really restrict access since they are going to be paying for most of this. Um, maybe that will happen. Maybe it'll be blowback from politicians. You know, if if they catch wind of how much money is potentially going to be spent on this drug, 
you know, Biden could be in in the crosshairs of of politicians. Um, that's another op, you know, potential um, fallout from this. So yeah, how this works out, I have no idea, but it's certainly interesting. I mean, the reference you made there, obviously, to the hepatitis C drugs uh, a few years ago, Gilead um, very much was in the crosshairs, and that was for. The, the, the price of a drug that essentially cures hepatitis C. Um, you know, we know that worked. We know that that one definitely worked. Yeah, I mean, I guess in the same and it was and it was a, it was a limited duration drug too. Like whereas this is Biogen's, this is another element. Biogen is saying that well, you know, our data suggests that you need to take this out however many years indefinitely. Whereas a lot of people are saying you could use this short term. I think. Uh, Eli Lilly is suggesting with, or maybe it's, I think it's Eli Lilly with denanumab that you take it short term and then you, you basically clear the, the brain of, of plaques and then you're, you're done. Um, so that's, that's a debate. And the, that's another issue that we just need more data. We don't know. It's another big question mark. Okay. I mean, I guess uh, certainly a, a sort of a closing thought from my side is I, I wasn't, I wasn't ultimately surprised that the that the FDA has approved this. Like like I mentioned up front, you know, that there was a delay um which felt like um you know, the agency was looking for reasons to approve it and obviously had had not made the the earlier decision to to issue a complete response letter. And I guess we've seen you know, and we've spoken previously about this that the that the FDA is not the most conservative regulator. Um, certainly in terms of some oncology approvals, you know, they're, they're happy to approve things quickly on small amounts of data. And, you know, there have been drugs with questionable data in the past that they've approved. And I guess the best example of that is the Sarepta um, Duchenne's um, muscular dystrophy treatment. But this this seems like a whole different ball game simply because that was a rare, a, a treatment for a rare disease. And this uh is a treatment for a, a disease which is anything but rare um and it, it feels just to, to me it feels like the fda has sort of thrown this out there and is is going to sort of um have to deal with the fallout for for quite some time yeah and i, I just argue yeah i think with for the uh duchene's example with sarepta i think there is a at least quasi viable, you know, counter argument that that approval, you know, really stimulated investment in the space. And we have, you know, moved on at least a little bit, you know, from the exon skippers that don't work very well, you know, to the gene therapies that also might not work very well, but probably work better. Um, so, you know, we are seeing sort of iterative improvement um, in DMD, you know, arguably inspired by this increased investment from having, you know, a commercial model on the market. Um, and I think, you know, the argument sort of bends the other way for Alzheimer's with this approval where, you know, with the FDA's endorsement of this amyloid hypothesis, now it is, you know, arguably going to be more difficult to get investors to sign on to, you know, any other uh, um, uh, neurological pathway that the FDA has not already said that it uh, definitively endorses, uh, combined with you know the difficulty of getting patients on a clinical trial when there's already an approved uh, drug on the market. So um, we'll yeah we we'll have to see what um, 
what, what this does for drug development for neuroscience overall. And if we just get sort of more entrenched in the amyloid hypothesis we're already in. Melanie, for those who are unaware of DQRX or whose knowledge of the company is limited, can you provide some background on the company and an overview of what your ambitions are in the pharmaceutical market? Simon, we started EQRX with a mission to improve health for all. And we're doing this by assembling a portfolio of therapies for chronic and life-threatening diseases where we experience significant cost pressure on healthcare systems and patients. And by creating an innovative business model where we are partnering broadly across the ecosystem to make it easy to access these great, innovative, affordable medicines. And I suspect a lot of people saw the company launch in January 2020 and thought, you know, this is a great concept, but it's probably going to take some time for these ideas to come to fruition. You know, if we fast forward 18 months, the company has got positive phase three data for two potentially disruptive cancer agents. Can you talk me through the results and then explain what these readouts mean in terms of the momentum that EQRX currently has? Simon, we've internally joked that this is really our data coming out ASCO party. Um, and we're really excited about where we are today. Let me talk about omalertinib, our third generation EGFR inhibitor first, and then I'll talk about shugamalumab, our PDL1. So with omalertinib, we now have the results of um, a phase three trial in the first line setting, which follows data that we had previously um, reported in the second line setting. And here, uh, Amalertinib was studied in comparison to Jafitinib, and we saw 19.3 months progression-free survival relative to Jafitinib, which was at 9.9 months. That's a lot of birthdays, bar mitzvahs. It's, this is real meaningful time. So from an efficacy point of view, it's a, a compelling result. Even more exciting is the fact that our toxicity profile showed significant improvement over Jafitnip, where in particular rash and diarrhea were a third of what is commonly, you know, what we've seen with the comparator. Let me put that in perspective. For a patient, that's real quality of life. We're not talking about a little bit of a, of a rash that you can just make go away with some ointment. Um, we're not talking about just uh, a bowel movement that you don't wanna have. This is for patients who are on this drug on average for a year and a half um, or even a little longer. This is a daily experience and having less of these side effects really matters. So we are extremely excited about omalertinib. 
the hypothesis when we first acquired the drug was that this therapy would be really great on efficacy and even better on uh, safety, and that has really borne out. And so we're excited to bring this medicine to patients, assuming that we get regulatory approval, which of course is the next step. With sugamalumab, this is another really exciting story for us. When you look at the broad class of PDL1s, PD1s, the in non-small cell lung cancer, sugamalumab has previously had great data that we presented or our partner presented at ESMO Asia last year in the stage four setting. Now we have additional data in the stage four setting that is statistically significant, but even more importantly, we've now added stage three data to it. And that makes it truly unique. And it makes it unique in three ways. One, we have stage three and stage four data. None of the other PDL1s, PD1s cover the breadth in this way especially when you look at the fact that we have studied sugamalumab both concurrent with chemotherapy and sequential with chemotherapy. And that gives physicians a lot of treatment options. And then third, our, the, the groups uh, of patients that we've studied sugamalumab in included squamous and non-squamous histologies. So when you think about the sheer breadth of what sugamalumab covers in non-small cell lung cancer alone, this is really exciting. It makes it, you know, it, it creates ease of use, if you will, for an oncologist where you can just say, well, this is the drug I can uh, very broadly apply. This is the therapy that applies to so many different subpopulations. And in stage three in particular, that's a heterogeneous patient population. And so having such a great result in a hard to treat patient population gives us a lot of great hope for those patients. So really, really compelling. And since you asked the question of where are we relative to where we thought we might be when we first launched the company 18 months ago, we're much further ahead at the time we had said, we are hoping to have our first therapies available for patients within five years. Well, the, both of these results position us in, in, in such a way that we can now have conversations with regulatory agencies. And that in turn, hopefully positions us to beat that time frame by quite a bit. People will obviously want to know how the company is going to make uh, such a disruptive pricing strategy work. Can you guide us through some of the factors and processes which you think will make this achievable in time? We have always believed that financial burden, financial toxicity is a real clinical issue. And in fact, there's data out there that proves that. There's data in uh, lung cancer that shows that the greater the financial burden on a patient, the greater the mortality. So in our minds, you cannot, we as an industry cannot ignore financial toxicity. 
financial toxicity also matters because it's really a matter of equity. You shouldn't be able to get or not get these innovative therapies just because of which country you live in or where you are from a socioeconomic status. That shouldn't matter. Anybody, anywhere should be able to get access to these therapies, which is very much in keeping with ASCO's theme this year. Every patient, every day, everywhere. It truly should mean everywhere. So we are going to price our medicines at a radically lower price. Simon, I'm sure you understand if I don't give you a precise number, but it will be radically lower such that we can have an impact on patients and make this these medicines broadly available, but also have an impact and make it affordable for entire healthcare systems. And that's not the case today. This is an opportunity for us to show what EQRX stands for at, from a quality point of view. And that is something that we very much believe in. The quality of our therapies and the quality of what Omalertinib and Shugamalamapi stand for is what our portfolio, and that's a portfolio at scale that we're building, will stand for. So we will do this again and again and again, because ultimately we can have really important impact anywhere in the world and to patients and to payers if we have a portfolio of tens of medicines. And so that's, that's why I said this is a little bit of a data coming out party, because it shows what the team at EQRX can do, and we will follow that with future medicines.